Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10. Continuing on with um, Yerushi lacquer, Chinese and Japanese, what can be done with it? We just talked about carving. Um, let's get into a little more depth of all the possibilities you can do with this lacquer. Beside putting it on the bottom of ships that have sunk and can be down there for 10, 15, or 20 years, and it's impenetrable. Absolutely amazing stuff. But let's talk about dry lacquer. Dry lacquer, um, or in Chinese or Japanese, is the opposite of galyptic or carved processes, so which we have seen or talked about so far. Sheets of hempen cloth are soaked in lacquer and then build up in layers over a core of fiber or wood, clay, or other distinctive physical materials, after which the whole is molded into a shape. When both the clay core and the lacquer are dry, the former is beaten out, leaving a tough structural form capable of being painted or gilded. So another um, possibility that you could do with once the lacquer, the Rishi lacquer is set up, you can paint it. So the Chinese have been painting lacquer since at least Han times, which is 2000 or 206 BC. The term generally used for it being Hanashai, a literal translation. Canton and Forshao were famous centers of the art in China. Lacquer painting proper is done on the lacquer ground with actually colored lacquer. The very wide palette includes a number of greens, a vermilion, a wine, and a rose red, turquoise in slate blue, and a plum color in many various browns, and a brilliant yellow, and gold was occasionally added to it. So, as Yerushi, or which the actual interpretation is called, lacquer picture, the art was taken up in Japan in very early times. The Monoyama period between 1573 and 1615 is being productive of very fine work, particularly on furniture and tablewares, no doubt under the influence of the great flowering of painting at that time. Painting with lacquer, however, has to be distinguished from painting on lacquer with oils, two distinguished, uh, distinctively different items, objects, or arts. So until modern times, there was always difficulty in finding coloring which would combine with the lacquer. And this problem was solved by using oil or a mixture of oil and lacquer, thus giving the name which was named after a village where it was first used, and also Matachusco, where the oil is mixed with the um, the lead oxide, thus making it the use of white and grays. So it gave a whole new dimension, adding the lead oxide. So, so this gold or silver paste painting provided um, the surface of the Rushi lacquer to turn to gold or silver, not by sprinkling, as in some techniques, but by painting it in lacquer with a brush. In other words, it was a kind of Yerushi in metallic colors. The earliest of the Chinese painted lacquers to make an impression on the Western world, and it set in motion there a whole new style of decoration. 
So this was the type which was called bantamwork, but is now more commonly known as cormandel lacquer. Outstanding examples are spectacular large scenes, particularly on panels, folded panels. Often, the 12 panels richly decorated with all manner of themes in colored lacquers. Both these names for the work are quite misleading. We owe them to the fact that in the days when the wares were first seen here, few of the buyers knew or cared about the real origin of objects brought into Europe by the ships of the East India Company. The same is true, of course, of porcelain, a great deal of which was thought to have come from India, but was described as such. Bantam was a port in the East Indies, where England, particularly the East India Company, had a station from 1603 to about 1682. And it was from there that the company controlled the activities of the factories along the Coromandel coast of southern India. The name Coromandel seems to have superseded Bantam because a great deal of the lacquer was shipped to France from its stations in Potticherry, also on the Coromandel coast. The real origin of this lacquer, however, was for the most part in the Chinese province of Honan, where it was made from the latter part of the Ming dynasty onward. A wooden base was given a coating of chalk and other materials, after which a layer of black or some other dark color lacquer was applied. This was then carved down to the chalky layer, making intagial depressions, which were then filled up with colored or gilt lacquers. This gave a magnificently rich and clear-cut effect. The colors, white, abergine, tortoise, blue, green, yellow, and red, standing out finely against the sumptuous ground of black, dark brown, or red. These fine screens, even on their first appearance in the West, were beginning to suffer the fate which lay in the store for so many of them, of being cut up to make smaller pieces. John Stalker's A Treatise on Japaning and Varnishing, published in Oxford in 1688, and this is the first book on finishing ever produced as we know it today, 1688. Stalker and Parker was the, uh, the team that did this. Um, and they complain bitterly about some who have made new cabinets out of old screens and from the l one large old piece. So by the help of a joiner, make little ones which stands out on tables, but never consider the situation of their figures, so that in these things, so torn and hacked up, to join a new fancy. You may observe the finest hodgepodge and medley. This was in uh, John Stalker's and, and Parker. And what they were saying was they hate to see these beautiful artifacts being torn up and cutting it, cut into smaller pieces and sold off. And I still see it today at auctions. So it is a fact that one <clears throat> may often see pieces, cabinets, mirror frames, tabletops, panels, brackets, where the materials have been made up totally without reference to the disposition of the figures and other subjects, as though they were merely abstract designs. Presumably, to the 17th century English craftsmen. These Chinese motifs were as meaningless as Western subjects were to the Chinese who painted them on their export wares. So one of the very finest of these screens 
Its decoration gives us almost an anthology of Chinese ornamental themes. Um, it has 12 panels extending over 21 feet wide and stands over 8 feet high. There is a fine, largely conceived overall design, well composed and yet rich in detail, which centers around a group of old pine trees, f- uh, flowers growing among them. In the broad border around the central design are displayed the famous hundred antique symbols so often seen on Chinese pottery, set within narrow bands of dragons above the lotus and scrolls below. Some of the ornament on the screen is in low relief as well as quite incised. The ground is a rich black, the main colors a brilliant turquoise blue, a wine red, several shades of green, a rose pink, and the usual white. How many such splendid screens, one wonders, were torn and hacked to joint by a new fancy. So we're going to stop there. We're going to pick up in a bit and talk about gold and silver decoration on Yerushi Lacquer. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.